0: Please be seated. See a lot of new faces here today. It's great to see you. Glad you're here with us. Armani, thanks for uh, the word, the sermon you brought last week. Um, Man, such a faithful word, and thank you for stepping in this morning again for Kip. Armani is going to be here all summer with us as a preaching and a worship intern, so you'll be seeing a lot of him. Thank you for your giftedness and your love for the Lord. It's already blessing our church. Kip called a couple of days ago. Uh, He came down with bronchitis, or so he says, all right? Um, (laughs) Armani did a wedding last night in East Tennessee, jumped on the road and arrived this morning in Memphis around 6.30. So I think you got an hour or two of a nap, and here you are leading us in worship. I woke up at 4 a.m. this morning wide awake. Every once in a while, this happens to me, and I didn't know why I was awake. Uh, so I started to pray. If God wakes me up in the middle of the night and I can't go back to sleep, a lot of times I feel like it's for a reason. There's, uh, so I just started to pray. A prayer that I've been praying over this church, over you for the last week is from Psalm 67. And in Psalm 67, it says that uh, may God's um, grace be upon us, may his face shine on us so that the world can know about the powerful deeds of our God. So I just started praying that over you and over us, that God would be gracious to us and that he would bless us and that he would make his face shine on us so that his power could be known in the community right here around us and beyond. And I kept praying because I was awake and I wasn't going back to sleep. So I jumped out of bed and I went and brushed my teeth because the Bible does talk about offering up a sweet aroma, right? Right. <clears throat> And my prayers became more intense. And then, um, for some reason, I thought, I'm awake. Let me see what's going on on Twitter, as if there's a lot of news around 5 in the morning. I started scrolling through Twitter when I came across this mass shooting that happened in Orlando this morning at a club. At the time, when I first started flipping through Twitter, it said a few people had died A couple of hours later, the number was 20. Within the last 30 minutes, we know that number is 50. It's the greatest mass shooting in our history. So then I I, I began to feel this burden, not just on the folks in Orlando, but then my mind went to here in Memphis. We've already had 100 homicides in 2016. We're on pace to Set a record, and then I started thinking about domestic violence. And you may be like, "Where's where was your mind going?" I was just, and then I started thinking about those of you in this church who've lost loved ones recently. And my heart was so heavy, so this 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 huge burden that was on me for the world we're living in, for the world my children are growing up in. And I was like, God, what do I do? Like, I I don't want to stand up and preach this morning as a guy that. Seems like I'm defeated and I don't have hope because you were here this morning. And maybe you're here because this is just what you do on Sundays. And sometimes it's okay to come to church, even though you don't want to. It's just what you do because it's good to be together. But I, I think many of you come on Sundays because you're eager to hear some kind of good news that Jesus is still going, that the kingdom of God keeps moving. And so I was asking God for a word, and this does not happen to me all the time. But I felt the Lord say, you need to open up your Bible. I got a word for you this morning. I opened up Ecclesiastes. I haven't read Ecclesiastes in so long. I started reading Ecclesiastes. It's 12 chapters. I got to chapter 11 and verse 10. And it was like the finger of God just landed on this one verse where it said, Banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body. So I meditated on that for a while. And rolled out of bed and got dressed, and here we are this morning. Um, there are times where I start thinking about what is going on in the world and how prevalent evil is. And what I need to do is I need to close my eyes and take a step back and be reminded of who God is and who He has always been and what His mission is. And then I start thinking about all the things God is doing right here in Memphis and beyond Which got me thinking, even this past week at at work camp. Work camp's been going on in Memphis since I think 1989, so just over 25 years. Where they celebrated this past week that they have now painted 801 homes in the Memphis area. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? All right, so. Here's a little piece of good news, all right? Action 5 News. They've done some cool things for this church before. I want you to see this two-minute clip that they showed. I think it was either Friday night or yesterday. Check this out. Here's some good news for you.
1: Teens from across Memphis are spending part of their summer, well, almost summer, giving back to communities in need. Did you ever do anything like this when you were in high school? I well, I kind of Yeah, I kind of did. Well, you're it's a good person. My mom. <laughs> <laughs> Not only is this service project improving the Bluff City, as WMC Action News 5's Jerrica Phillips now reports, it's improving the lives of Memphis teenagers. Serving God by serving people. It's the mission at this work camp as young people dedicate part of their summer by being the change they want to see here in Memphis. Can you saw that sunscreen? Spreading love one roller and paintbrush at a time for more than 25 years. Memphis Work Camp is a service project sponsored by several area churches of Christ that brings teenagers, college students, and adults together to repair, scrape, and paint homes for people in need. It's a transforming week for all volunteers.
0: It shrinks their world. They also uh, get to know kids from other churches and even other cities come in and help us out this week.
1: We caught up with one team painting a 98-year-old woman's home in orange mound she's
0: lived in this house her whole life she was born in this house and uh, she doesn't need to be on a ladder and we've got a bunch of young young kids who can it's really fun i really enjoy coming out here and just being able to like help the people because she would never be able to do this herself
1: the group has restored 781 homes across the bluff city
0: Every neighborhood in Memphis has wonderful people doing wonderful things, and uh, unfortunately, uh, they don't make the headlines.
1: It's sweat equity that deals a profit for the entire community.
0: A lot of the work is really tough, like the scraping. My hands are like, so sore, like, but it's really fun, and like, it makes me feel better.
1: In Orange Mound, Jerica Phillips, WMC Action is 5. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, isn't that cool? And Jim Hickel was made for the camera, right? Dude was just made to do videos. I love it. So good. <laughs> All right. Uh, I, so I, I plan out sermon series months in advance. Last November December, Justin Archery and I uh, sat down and I kind of walked him through what I was hoping to do in 2016. So uh, I laid this plan out before the elders. Um, and here we are. I want to start a new three-week series today, and let me get after it kind of going like this. Um, our world is changing at a pace that is faster and quicker than ever before. Communication, technology, medicine, information, it is changing at this fast pace where some of you wonder, how can I keep up with all of this? And some of you are too, so tired of trying to keep up, you've given up trying to keep up. Am I right? So so much is changing. Uh, churches are changing. Culture's changing. Nation's changing. There are laws that have been in place for years that you thought they would never change. You now, there, there seems to be laws are changing or laws are being redefined. And there, there's so much happening. I remember back in the 80s when my family would go on family vacations. We could, uh, if, and back in the 80s, we were in that family that no matter where we were, we found a place to go to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Did you grow up in families like this? So even if we're in South Dakota or the trip we took to Yellowstone in Montana, we found somewhere to go to church. And it didn't seem, it, it seemed like anywhere we went to church, whether it was Texas, Montana, Tennessee, every church looked the same. They looked the same. They smelled the same. They sounded the same. They sang the same songs. Like everything seemed the same. But now you fast forward 25, 30, 35 years and and churches have changed, cultures changed, America has changed. And the question I want to keep coming back to today is the question I think we have to keep in front of us. What does it mean to be a faithful church in the midst of a changing society? What does it mean to be a faithful people of God? Because one response can be that we shrink back and we give culture in the world the stiff arm, and we sink into our safe community where we hang out with only Christians, and then we use verses like, Bad company corrupts good morals, uh, and phrases like that to keep us in safe Christian community where we only hang out with Christians, and we get away from the world because we don't know what the world is really up to. But, But we need to keep looking at how the early church, when the early church was at its best, who they were and what they got right because when they were at their best, they knew how to go into the marketplaces and into theaters and into the very heart of cities and communities to be the presence of God there and to love people while still holding on to all of the convictions that they had. So for the next few weeks, what I want to talk about is what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be a human being? Because this morning, I want all the parents to know I'm going to be very careful with words I choose because I don't want those emails coming to me tomorrow of, hey, my kid went home repeating some of the things you said about living in a sexualized culture, and now I would like for you to meet with my 8-year-old to describe to them what you were saying, all right, or the verses you were reading. So I want to be very careful. But let me just say this. We live in a highly sexualized culture, right? And this can leave you confused and complex and fearful and angry and not really sure what it means to be Christians in this culture anymore. Um, you check out at Kroger or Walgreens or a gas station, and I want my boys. I want their eyes looking at the ground, like when we're at a Grizzly game and the Grizzly girls come out. It's like, look down, all right? I don't. I don't want you seeing a magazine racks because people don't wear much anymore. There's so many billboards that it's just in front of you. All these images, and now are conversations in our culture that are prevalent about who gets to redefine marriage, and marriage has been redefined, and 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 what's going on with Target and. Uh, who gets to use what bathrooms and and the conversation goes on and on and on and it can leave you and I think these are emotions that would describe where some of you are today angry confused bitter and fearful maybe fearful for yourself fearful for your kids fearful for your grandkids what kind of world are they going to grow up in yeah we need to keep coming back to the question of what does it mean to be a faithful church in a changing culture Because one thing we can do is we can begin to point our fingers at the world, and I see way too much of this in a harmful way, where we point our fingers because we need somewhere to place blame. And if we aren't careful, what happens is we live in a culture now where not only do you need people and things to love, but you also need people and things and groups to hate. And the way we do this is a lot of times I have conversations. Somebody comes over to the house. We're just finding a way to talk about life. And sometimes we'll throw out questions like, all right, let's talk about our favorite cereal. What's your favorite cereal? What's your least favorite cereal? What's your favorite genre of music? What's your least favorite genre of music? What's your favorite movie? What are your least favorite movies? What are your favorite teams? And not only what are your favorite teams, but what are the teams you love to hate? And it seems that even this creeps into politics. It can creep into so many other things. And not only do you need things in your life that you love, you also need things in your life that you can hate. So we point fingers and we place blame. But I want to keep bringing us back to the question of what does it mean to be the church that lives faithfully, that lives as people who are grounded in the heart of God. We have all felt the sting of changing hearts in a changing culture. Um... I'm not going to ask for a a show of hands, but um, I would would be curious to know how many of you, like how far do you have to go outside of your influence uh, to know of a story of someone who has been taken down by adultery? It could be yourself. It could be your family. It could be your own marriage. It could be someone within your family. It could be a neighbor. And we could just start throwing out these other scenarios of how far do you have to go outside of that group? How far do you have to go outside of yourself until you know a person who's either struggled with their sexual orientation uh, or they've fully given in to believing that their orientation is now that they are attracted to people of the same sex? And most of you probably don't have to go very far outside of yourself to know names and people. Um. And I think the question, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands again, is do you feel equipped and empowered to be the people of God who can engage in dialogue with folks around you at dinner tables and lunch tables and in office places that you feel empowered and equipped by the Spirit of God to engage in dialogue that can make for a better world, that, that can help show that we know how to follow Jesus in a way where we are full of grace and full of truth. All right, so before we dive into the Bible, because I want to lay a foundation for the next couple of weeks this morning, I want to talk about the Bible and how the Bible works and how the Bible functions, because loving the Bible transcends all all ages, all generations. It's not just this history book. It is fully alive and active. It's breathing life into who we are today. I think it's so important that when we read the Bible, it's not just a window that we're peeking into, but it's a window that we step through to enter into the story of the Bible. When I use story of the Bible, I'm not using this in a way of talking about myth or fairy tale, but it is this ongoing story of a God who is forever, a God who was yesterday, today, and forever, a God who goes and goes, and a God who doesn't just want us to know what the Bible says, but to step into the story of the Bible to live as God's people. Does this make sense? Because I think it's important for us when we engage the Bible, it's not just that you read the Bible, but how are you reading the Bible? And what questions are you taking to the Bible with you? So two things I want to take care of before we dive into scripture this morning. One uh, is um, God does not need you to defend him. God does not need, uh, I think there are some people living today, and I I talk to these people, and I see these people, especially on social media, where it's as if they feel like the gift God has given them is to be God's attorney. Like God needs someone to defend them. So there are people who are like, God, don't worry, I got your back, I'm going to take care of your truth, watch what I'm going to do right now on social media, like we are going to defend God. God doesn't need you to defend him. God needs you to be faithful to him. God needs you to love him. All right, secondly, the ultimate desire of God for you is not for you to be happy. I've heard this lie in my office, at breakfast, at lunch. People who are making decisions in their lives that are destructive, yet what they use is this framework of God just wants me to be happy. God's desire for you is not your happiness. It is faithfulness. God's desire is for you to dive into his mission with everything you got, not for you to be happy. Now, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, okay? Uh, here are three questions, and let me just, let's place these on the screen. I want you to see these three questions, because here's what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks, okay? What do we think about ourselves? And I want to talk about the day, that today. Uh, what do we think of other people? And what does it mean for the church to properly and faithfully engage culture? Now a healthier way to say this and the frame this theologically is if you go to that next slide is uh, just in a little different way what does God think of us? A- and I want that to lay a framework for this study because anytime we talk about what it means to be sexual beings what we're talking about is what does it mean to be human beings? Alright, so the second thing I want to talk about come back next week is um, what does God think about other people? And thirdly How does God want his people to engage culture? So we're going to have a conversation about Christ and culture. To begin with, I want to go all the way back to the very beginning. This is helpful for me. Anytime I'm faced with conversations that are stretching me, pulling me, confusing me, challenging me, it's good for me to sit back and think, okay, what do I know to be true about God? What are those things that I know without a doubt I'm banking on these specific concrete things to be true? And it's good for me sometimes to go all the way back to the very beginning. Now, I love the creation story. I love Genesis 1 and 2. And not just because um, I want to get into conversations about young earth and old earth. And, and those are conversations that are to be had in other places. But I, I love reading Genesis 1 and 2 because I think it teaches us so much about the heart of God and who God is. So when you open up your Bible to the creation story, and I've taught you this in the past, it's been a few years ago, but I think it's so cool how God created. I was teaching my boys this the other day, okay? And they got it. So if my boys could get it, I think you could too, all right? That that the first three days of creation, what God does is he creates big space. And day four, five, and six, the next set of three, God fills the space he created on days one, two, and three. For instance, for example, all right? Day one, what God does is he separates darkness and light. So there's light and darkness. On day four, what God does is he fills light and darkness with the sun, the moon, and the stars, all right? So on day two, what God does is he separates sky and water. And on day five, God fills what he did on day two. So he separates sky and water. And on day five, he places birds in the air and fish in the sea. On day three, God creates land out of water on day six he fills what he created on day three that he creates land and water and now on day six what he does is he puts animals on the earth and he also puts human beings on land now now i think this is so cool because this isn't just something god did way back in the very beginning it becomes the continuous act of god throughout the rest of human history our god knows how to create space and he also knows how to fill space Right? With himself and with his glory and with his plans and all the things God is doing. All right? Now, <clears throat> what God does on day six, he waits until the very end to create human beings. And if you go back and read Genesis 1 and 2, you read the creation story or both creation stories that are there in Genesis 1 and 2. God uses his mouth to create more than he uses his hands. God speaks and things happen. So God would say, let there be light and there would be light. Let there be humans and there would be humans. So God would speak and things would happen. Now, when it came to making the female in chapter 2, verse 22, God takes a rib, right? Uh, and what it says in Genesis 2, 22 is that God made the woman. It's literally God built the woman. This is the same Hebrew word for when Noah built the ark or when people would build the temple. So God built the female. Now, for all the women here, you can go somewhere this week, and you can look at a man. You can be I like, do. God spoke you into an existence. God built me into existence, right? <laughs> like, God built what I am, all right? This is a beautiful thing. But what you have at the end of chapter 1, and I want to focus in on this because I think this lays a foundation for conversations about sexuality that are happening in our world, in our culture. They have always happened, and they will continue to happen. Genesis 1, 26 through 28, and here's what it says. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the ground. So God created humans in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. And let me just put a period right there, even though Genesis 1 keeps going. God created them in his very own image. Um, If you read this, being human is not a bad thing. Being human is good. Being human is that we were made in the very image of God. Your Bibles do not begin in Genesis 3 with the fall. It begins in Genesis 1 and 2 with the God who creates and breathes life into what he created. And this phrase, image of God, <clears throat> is a phrase that continues throughout the rest of Scripture. So it wasn't that <clears throat> God created us in His image and then the fall happened and then we're no longer image bearers. We're no longer people who bear God's image. Genesis 5.1 continues talking about what it was like to be made in the image of God. Paul picks up on this language and uses this language that we are those who reflect the image of God. Now this can confuse some people because you have never seen the exact... What God looks like. So it's hard for you to even know. But what we find in the very beginning is God thought so much of human beings that he created and made us in his very own image. So there is is value in what it means to be human. Now, what I want to talk more about next week is if we believe this is true, then every human being who was created on this planet has been created by God, is loved by God. And if you don't believe that, then you're believing that there were humans who have been created by some other being, and I I don't think we want to go there. So if God has created every human being in his own image, then how should that change how I treat and choose to love whoever is that other person in front of me? Now, when it comes to the image of God, let uh, let let me use a mirror, okay? This side, you may have a little trouble seeing it, but try to go along with me, okay? Now, there are some of you in this room, I'm not going to have a show of hands, there are some of you who probably love looking at the mirror, all right? I remember when I, Casey and I, were we've been married 14 years early on in our marriage, I was like, hey babe, back when you were a teenager, were you ever like, did you ever brush your teeth and like flex your muscles in the mirror? And she's like, no, did you? And I was like, <clears throat> no, I just heard some other people did, you know? <laughs> no, I never did that either. <clears throat> but one of the reasons we go to a gym is because we don't like what we look like in a mirror. And then you get to a gym, and what do they have over every wall? Mirrors, right? One way I want you to think about this in the coming week is you're made in the image of God. So when you look at a mirror and you see yourself, uh, what do you see? And you know what? The closer you get to a mirror, the more things you see that you don't like. Am I right? Some of us prefer to look in the mirrors like way back here, but the closer we get, the closer it's like, I did not know that was there. How did that get there? Did other people see it there, right? Think about this with God. Some of us like to keep our distance because the closer we get, the more God points out things that may need to change. And the closer we get to God, the more we see the image God wants us to live in. So the closer we get to God, being able to look in a mirror and be able to say, I am a human being who was created in the very image of God, and I am a child of God, and I want this to be the center of everything I am. What that does is it means you are claiming that I want to find my value and my love in God and nothing else. Because there are too many humans who are trying to find love and value in all the wrong places and in all the wrong things. Right, So desperate for someone to tell you you were wanted and needed and loved that we will give in to forms of temptation so that we can feel those feelings even if they last just a few moments or a few days or a season. But it's in us knowing we we were created in the very image of God. We are children of God, loved by God. This is the center of who we are and and I want to treat other people as image bearers and I... I want other people to treat me the same. So what this means in relationships is that for some of the girls in here, you're not gonna let a guy touch things he shouldn't touch because those things are God's until you are in a marriage. And for guys to touch something you shouldn't be touching outside of the marriage bed means you are touching something that is God's and you better be really careful when you're messing with something that is owned, loved, and anointed by God. So... um. I was at a church camp my freshman year, learning this lesson about looking in a mirror and seeing our reflection and believing we're made in the image of God. It was after my freshman year of high school, and uh, my teacher was a guy named Mike. And what Mike did is he had this, he said, I, I need a volunteer who will stand up in front of the class, and we're going to wrap you with toilet paper. And me and all my, dude, all my friends were like, yeah, man, we, I want to be wrapped in toilet paper. And he picks this girl. It was a really quiet girl. And we're like, dude, she's no fun. Let us do it, right? So he gets this girl in front of everyone, wraps, and we got to wrap her in toilet paper. So you probably know where this is going. This is like that whole thing with Caterpillar uh, being wrapped. And then the Caterpillar is supposed to be set free and becomes a butterfly. <clears throat> so we wrap her until you could not see anything. We tore a little hole <clears throat> around her nose so she could breathe, all right? She's covered in toilet paper. And he had her stand there for a minute while he talked to us about all the ways that the enemy wants to come into our lives and plant these, these lies of who we are <clears throat> and strip us of the image of God that is upon us. And as he kept talking, he looked at this girl and he said, it's time for you to be free. And this is when she was supposed to break out, but she didn't move. She just stayed still. And then we, like, start cheering her on, like, come on, Katie, what are you doing? Like, be free, be set free, come on out. And she didn't move. But then we heard a sniffle, which turned into a cry. And now this girl's weeping. And we're a bunch of 15-year-olds looking at each other like, Dude, is she going to die in there? Like, we've got to help her. And we didn't know we were about to, like, make this beautiful image of what it means to be the church. But then we stepped up and we went over to her and we start ripping the toilet paper off to help her be set free. <clears throat> um, hey, can I? Let me, I'm going to use this mic right here. There we go. All right. Um, Come to find out, this was a girl whose parents had gone through a divorce over that school year. And when they went through a divorce, she began to question in her life how she was loved, and she began to blame herself for what her parents went through, so she started looking for love and acceptance and value in all the wrong places. And in that moment when she was in that, quote-unquote cocoon, all these forms of brokenness came into her life. And it was the church that helped set her free. Um, But one thing N.T. Wright has taught me when it comes to the image of God is it's not just about you looking in a mirror to see who you are. The way this works is more like a, okay, it'd be more like an angled mirror. But right now, I cannot see my reflection uh, but what I can see is Casey Frederick and Renee. N.T. <clears throat> Wright said when he was a child, he was sick one night, and he was scared he didn't want to be alone. Uh, so what he did is what his, what his mom did, was take a mirror and hang it on his door to where anytime he looked at a mirror, he could see the reflection of his mother. And being able to see his mom gave him comfort to be able to rest well. When God talks about us being made in the image of God, one of the primary ways God wants to reflect himself on the world, on the lost, on those who don't know God, is that he wants to reflect through the church, through his people, upon the world. So our job is not to project what we think the world needs to hear about God, but it is to be a faithful mirror that is projecting the very image of God upon the world. Is this making sense? All right, so before we go any deeper in conversations about sexuality and what it means to be human, it begins with who are we before God? And who do I believe God has called me to be? Now, here's what... I want to help us to pray and think through <clears throat> over the next week is this. One thing uh, one person has taught me, and I think this is so true throughout Scripture, is it is possible, and I think God wants us, to love other people into their future. Not based on their past. It's <clears throat> to love them into their future. So no matter what you've done or where you've been or who you are, what decisions you've made, I want to help love you into a future with God. You see this throughout Scripture. You see this progression. You see this especially in Paul. We're in the book of Ephesians, my wife's favorite book, Ephesians 1, her favorite chapter. Paul does not begin by saying all these commands of who you are and who you're not and what you've done wrong. But in Ephesians 1, it is this constant reminder of who you are in God. And once that is established, then we can talk more about what it means to be God's people in the world. So he roots them in their identity. And these are a bunch of pagans. These are people who have been far from God. He roots them in what God thinks about them in order to love them into their future. Who is the person in your life this week that you need to love into a better future? What does it look like? What is it going to mean? And do you believe that when God looks at you through the eyes of Jesus, through what Jesus has accomplished, through his death, burial, and resurrection, and what Jesus has accomplished in you, that when God looks at you through the work of Jesus, he sees you as sinless, pure, and blameless. So let's go today and let's be who we are. Let's live into our identity. I want to ask shepherds, if you will, move around this morning. Go to your places of prayer. We have other people to receive you for prayer. There may be some of you here, and you need us to love you and to a better future. There may be some sins, some mistakes, some brokenness, some destruction in your life. We are providing places for you to go to meet with people for prayer. If there's something you want to bring in front of this church, come up here. Sam Carr is up here to my right. You see some women moving around. You see uh, Doyle, uh, Kelly, and Tammy are a couple back there um, ready and eager to meet with you. These people are here to pray with you, to bless you, because when God created human beings... The very first thing God did when he created us in his image is it says, God, bless them. Before God asked us to do anything, it says, God, bless them. This week, let's live from the blessing of God, not for the blessing of God. And if you are in need of that blessing in your life, I invite you as we sing this song to go and find one of these people for prayer. Let's stand together. Let's sing.
1: John.